Okay. So my name is Erin Dyer. And my husband is John Dyer. And um, we both have grown up around breeding programs of purebred dogs as well as mixed breed dogs. Um, I personally served in the United States Marine Corps as a military working dog handler. Uh, my dogs were explosive detection dogs and used for um, police work. So handling all sorts of working breeds, European working breeds. Um, we had a few Israeli dogs and they were all trained for um, patrol work, which is like the bite work, um, and then explosive detection. Um, so I got a lot of great exposure to different working breeds, especially the European ones. Um, and the ones from the Middle East were always hands down the best dogs, um, just naturally they carried traits that were just stronger than all the other working breeds um and then once leaving the marine corps we decided to start a ranch and we were losing animals to predators um we tried different working breeds like the pyrenees and the akbosh some anatolian crosses and while we liked a few of the characteristic traits um most of them carried unpredictable temperaments and we have young kids and we wanted to find something that was good with kids um and like as a trait and good with aerial predators because in the midwest we deal with vultures um that will attack calves and lambs being born um so we, after doing a few years of research, we landed on the Congo dog and they have been bred for thousands of years uh, to be good with, you know, strangers passing through villages as well as children. Um, my husband, he grew up around purebred uh, golden retrievers and a few other breeds, um, but we just collectively decided that this would be the breed we would try out um, while we have young children. And um, so that's how we came across the Congo dogs. And so that was our beginning to this breed. Yes. So you'll hear from most Congo breeders that the they're known as the Turkish Congo dog. Um, but historians have actually linked them prior to arriving for the first time in Turkey um, to like areas of Iran, Afghanistan, and Egypt. So this falls all the way back until um, where they have found traces of the Congo dog um, originating in those areas during the biblical times um, several thousand years ago. So another aspect of this breed that I really am passionate about is the history and the fact that Jesus Christ and his, his disciples likely came across this dog, the Congo dogs. Um, so we just have a deep respect and desire to preserve this very rare breed um, that our Lord and Savior may have came across, um, especially his disciples while doing work in ancient Persia. The other part of this 
dog is its history and its um, nickname being known as the lion dog. A lot of breeders will tell you it's because they look like lions and they roar like lions, which is true. Um, but historians have also linked it to the ancient Persians gifting a Kongol dog to Julius Caesar when he was an emperor in Rome. And he put it in the Colosseum to fight a lion. And the dog won the fight against the lion. Um, it later succumbed to its injuries and did die but he did kill the lion. So that is the actual original historical source of their nickname, being known as the lion dogs. Um, so they um, have very unique characteristics for being uh, warrior dogs for thousands of years. So that's the general history of them. Once they were brought to Turkey, um, from the more western parts of the Middle East, they were used as protection for families and villages. Um, and over time, they have been bred to protect sheep. Um, so shepherds used to have to fight off predators with a staff. And then they started learning that dogs could be beneficial for helping them protect their livestock because for many families, that was their livelihood was livestock production. Um, so since then, in the very small village of um, Congo, uh, it is, has been, they have been preserved to do specifically that. Over time, in modern times, you know, they have been mixed with other um, in the region of Anatolia, and that's where we get the Anatolian shepherd from. And they have less uh, reliable temperaments. Um, the Anatolian Shepherd obviously is, is used for mostly for livestock guardian dog duties, but we have stayed away from the Anatolian because of our experience with their inconsistent temperament, where they have been known for turning on their owners, um, not being safe with children, and uh, not being consistent with how they protect livestock, whether they uh, have a high prey drive and attack them or they have a high, um, you know, maternal instinct and protects them. So with the um, Congo dog, they are now being very closely maintained, um, the rarity of their genetics by the Congo Dog Club of America um, and specific breeders within the United States. Um, but unfortunately, now that their research has been published, that they have the strongest bite of any recorded breed in history at 700 PSI, pounds per square inch, they're now being highly sought after by dog fighters. Um, and it would be completely unfair to put a Congo dog in a ring with, say, the popular pit bull, because the pit bull actually has one of the weakest uh, bites pound per square inch. So currently, those who are protecting the breed are utilizing them for the livestock guardianship and property guardianship. Um, that is their what have, they have been bred for, and that is our intention to preserve them for. What is the difference between a Kangle and an Anatolian? So the Kangle is a specific line of genetics 
of Congol dogs that have been preserved in the village of Congol, Turkey. And the Anatolian is a mix of other breeds that have been roaming the area within the Anatolian um, region of Turkey. So you'll see in AKC, they recognize the Anatolian Shepherd, and you'll see all different kinds of color confirmations, patterns, temperaments, sizes, where the Congo dog, it's very consistent with his coloring. Um, you'll see fawn, tan, steel gray colors, and they have a black mask. Um, they don't have Dutch markings around their neck or their noses. Um, people do mark it. Congo dogs with these markings and that would show that they are um, Anatolian mixed and not purebred. Mm -hmm. So you'll see physical traits that are different from the Anatolians. Um, they tend to have a thicker coat than the Anatolians but not as long and uh, they just always have a very consistent look of them. Um, so the Anatolian is not recognized in, by the UKC as a Congo dog. They uh, allow Congo dogs to be regist registered as their own breed, where the AKC does not. <clears throat> so there's a lot of politics revolving around uh, the breeds. But the UKC obviously more so follows the European FCI guidelines for breed recognition. Um, so you'll see sometimes... Congols being registered as Anatolian Shepherds with the AKC, but an Anatolian Shepherd will never be registered as a Congol dog in the UKC. That's just different lines, and the Congol dog has been heavily protected um, as a specific line from a specific town in Turkey. Our Congol dogs tend to be higher energy like the Anatolians. They do like to roam fence lines. Um, and then go back and check their flocks. Um, where the Akbosh, they have high maternal drives. And in the Akboshes we've had, in our experience, they tend to stick around the flock rather than roam fence lines. Um, when there are predators that pressure your flock or your livestock, you tend to have Congles, the um, females versus the males, display different natural behaviors. So where the females tend to, like lions, um, pursue the predators um, or the pressure, the males will flank the flock and guard them directly. Um, we have not witnessed this with the other breeds. I've not read of this behavior specifically based on sex in other dog breeds, um, but we have experienced it with our own dogs and other breeders will tell you the same if they're in a high predator load environment. So there's that behavior that is unique to the Congo dog. Um, they're very uh, cognizant of aerial predators where some breeds are not. Uh, we had Pyrenees and we just, in our experience, they were very lazy, um, but I think they prefer cooler weather. And in the Midwest, we have very hot summers. So I I'm not surprised that they just didn't really pay attention to much. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that, and we just absolutely can trust them with our children. Um, obviously, for safety reasons, we are always aware and directly with our children when the dogs are around. Um, but just immediately, we have young toddlers, babies, and they take to them 
the the dogs take to the children right away and and really enjoy interacting with them gently they just have that gentle nature about them that i didn't trust previous dogs with so um there's a few unique traits that we've experienced if someone wanted to because we have had inquiries and questions about utilizing these dogs for police work um for you know bite work and it just would never work with the breed they are shown in videos acting extremely aggressive but it's typically because they have been conditioned to be dog aggressive and on the other side of the camera is another congle dog um, or another type of dog that they're using as a bait dog Um, so when we have had inquiries on oh would these dogs be good for police work no they would not because they typically don't like to uh they don't have a high desire to please they're very independent um and they just don't like i i don't expect a congol to bite a person unless they are being beaten or attacked or threatening um like a child other than that, I, I don't think that they would be a good breed for um, any patrol work focus like that. People want to use them as house protection, and um, that's great, but it would take a lot of pressure for a Congo to bite a human because they've been bred for so long to not be aggressive towards people, and that's what we rely on for the safety of our kids and for visitors. So we have a small program, uh, a newer program, and we had a stud, um, a male from uh, a woman by the name of Mackenzie Hawthorne. Her ranch is Nighthawk Valley Homestead, and she has imported some fantastic genetics directly from Turkey. Um, You can no longer import directly from Turkey because... Uh, the dog registration programs have discovered that more and more exported Congo dogs are in fact not purebred um, and they're becoming a big issue with um, scams and stuff like that. So we were able to obtain a fantastic mail from her program while she was able to still import some uh, genetics directly from Turkey. She went there herself and um, and then we have a couple females that we imported directly from France. Uh, their sire and dam come from lines in Belgium and then prior to that, Turkey. Um, and what we looked for was the temperament of the parents. We asked a lot of questions. What are the temperaments? What are they actively doing in their daily lifestyle? Are they currently or proven working dogs protecting livestock? Um, are they being shown for confirmation? Um, what registries are they with? And then, you know, you ask for a million videos and pictures to see movement, color, confirmation to ensure that the dogs match the um, breed standard, which was originally set by the Turkish Congo registry. So beyond that, we look at bone density, um, you know, depth of chest. We want, people want big dogs for protection, but you also have to ensure that 
while you want big dogs to potentially fend off from multiple predators, large predators, they also have to be athletic. So we look for dogs that are athletic in build, but they also have the heavier bone. um, So they have weight in order to be able to face really any type of predator and have an advantage. So being a strong big dog that can also run fast. So that's technically the foundation of what we look for. And then look at the multiple generations of where they originally originated from and the um, the likelihood of them being possibly mixed breed versus purebred. And you have to weigh the risk of that and how to determine if they are, in fact, directly from, you know, the Congo region of Turkey or um, if they have an unreliable pedigree. Um, so that's specifically what we look for first. Um, and then you determine once you assess puppies and their conformation and their temperaments with breeders and stuff like that. That's, that's, uh, where we kind of get into details. Um, we specifically liked the ones that we imported from France, um, because the women we imported from Amel and Tunes. Um, with the Legend of Congo program, she had a very long, reliable program um, and a, a great reputation within the FCI showing program for the Congols. These dogs are rarely shown, um, but it just displayed a, a program that we were likely to have good dogs from. So that's where we sourced our dogs originally and then throughout searching for available congles you get to know the other breeders in the um you know in the group and uh really learn the different aspects of each breeding program um another aspect is the health um obviously of the dogs and if the breeders did panel testing um because Congles are starting to show up. Congles that have been previously imported, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, their lines are starting to, now that we can have genetic tests done, um, genetic disease testing done, uh, people are starting to find that their dogs have um, these inheritable traits. And uh, so people are starting to find that they're not happy with the dogs that they've obtained from American programs and are seeking to import. Um, So we pride ourselves on having fully panel tested free and clear dogs from those um, diseases that they can inherit from parents um, and transgenerationally. Um, So obviously asking breeders about their panel testing, their, you know, hips and patellas and all that so the health testing is also an important aspect that a lot of people don't test for and sometimes when you're importing from europe it's challenging because veterinarians over in europe have different standards and different tests that they rely on um so you have to ensure that you ask breeders about their testing and for the results um before you purchase so Yes, yeah, so the Congo dog is not recognized by the AKC. They seem to be a little bit 
slower or hesitant to catch up to those international pedigrees that the UKC does recognize. Um, so, for example, the you know miniature and toy Australian shepherds, um, they just you know they've been around for what twenty years or more. Uh, same with the Alaskan Klikai, the the miniature uh, huskies, they've been around for twenty, thirty years or more, and AKC is just starting to recognize them. But for but breeders are having to register them under a new breed name um not what breeders have been calling them for you know a couple decades now um so with that we i'm sure at some point we will likely see the congo dog hopefully recognized by the akc um or not but there the difference between so the congo dog UKC breed standard has been adopted from like the Turkish uh, Congo dog registry and I believe the FCI utilizes the same so the main adaptations would be the um, the cropping of ears so the um, Congo dog traditionally in Turkey their ears are cropped because they're often um, protecting flocks and shepherds from wolves, um, the small black wolf in Turkey, as well as stray dogs. Um, and their biggest point of weakness is their ears. Um, there's a lot of blood loss with ear, with ear injuries. And unfortunately, um, with the UKC, breed standard it is recognized as a fault um, or disqualification for registry if your dog's ears are cropped so if your dog hasn't been it hasn't been registered yet and you're and you crop the dog's ears um, they will not approve registry um, even if it's a working dog so this has been a point of contention between um, the Congo Dog Club of America members um, because many people find ear cropping to be cruel, yet the people with those opinions have never experienced a working dog fall victim to an extreme ear injury. Um, I nearly had one of my dog's ears cropped just the other week because they had such a bad tear in their ear. Um, and it just creates a lot more risk uh, versus reward when you have working dogs in covering, you know, a large amount of property. Um, and you can't always recognize an injury right away, especially after hours in the field. So that is one big difference between the UKC breed standard and say dogs that are accepted for registry in Turkey. Um, it's more of a, well, I'm going to try to not give too much of a emotional opinion on it, but it's a lot of people suggesting that it's just cruel and, and, uh, not necessary, but they aren't taking into account the dogs that are actually working, which is what this dog is, is a working breed. Um, the reason why they are hesitant to approve it, which they did recently, the Congo Dog Club of America did approve um, ear cropping 
but a lot of the members, you know, uproared and then they changed it again, <clears throat> changed it back because the problem is that they give a more, the Congo gives a more, much more aggressive appearance, uh, like a pit bull with cropped ears. And since this breed is now being highly sought after by dog fighters, um, a dog with cropped ears just tends to attract more attention from people who are interested in that hobby. Um, but I think those who are selling the dogs, you know, you can only control so much and we should all be adults and be able to make our own decisions based on what is best for our dogs. Um, I believe right now they advise against cropping ears, but if you have a medical reason approved by your veterinarian, you can have your dog's ears cropped without your dog's registry being revoked. So there is a positive change there. Um, there are mostly no difference between the UKC breed standard and the FCI and Turkish breed standard other than that. Um, the problem that I have recognized with the breeders in America um, who sit on the board of the American, um, the Congo Dog Club of America, who is the gateway to people registering imported dogs to UKC. It's basically a, a board put together <clears throat> or that has come together and they have become the registry that you have to go through in order to apply for UKC registration with a foreign or international pedigree like if you import a dog <clears throat> um the problem with that is that they while they're gatekeepers and there are certain aspects that they protect regarding the Congol breed and the fact that they don't just let anyone register a dog as a Congol they themselves have dogs within their breeding programs that don't meet the breed standards um so that is a huge ethical problem that I recognize as, well, <clears throat> why is it that this board is made up of members who approve their own dogs or each other's dogs with obvious um, faults recognized by, you know, the, the UKC breed standard that they suggest that they uphold against other breeders outside of the Congo Dog Club America, yet within each other's breeding lines, they, you know, turn a blind eye. So you'll often see, um, I've seen a lack of a black mask um, on several dogs, and that is recognized as a breed fault. Uh, a liver nose or chocolate nose, that is a breed fault. Um, the or like the liver nose, you know, like the noses that are pink um, or fade with color, like as they age. Um, a dog with a lack of a double coat. So the Kongle is supposed to have a double coat and no feathering. Um, and that is what you typically see in an Anatolian. You'll see feathering, you'll see, well, typically you see a double coat in an Anatolian, but the non-purebred Congo lines, in my opinion, from what I see when I look at them, there's a lack of a double coat. They look like a German Shepherd cross you might come across in a shelter. Um, Dutch markings, so white on their noses or around their necks and um, 
puppies can have, Congo puppies can have white tip tails, but it is expected that within a few months it fades away. Um, so a white tip tail that remains is, um, from what I would say, is not breed standard. It's a fault. So the difference between what I expect out of a dog that I would invest in versus what the Congo Dog Club of America particular members, I wouldn't say everyone that represents that board. Um, the difference is that I have held myself to extremely high expectations for the dogs that I invest in if they are to continue contributing to the Congo, the future of the Congo breed. Um, so breeding dogs. Um, so my expectation is a dog is going to be, you know, large, like males. Um, you would expect them to be around 100, I believe 130, 140 pounds. Um, and then the females, I think the males is like 140 pounds and females average 130 pounds. But I would not be uncomfortable with a dog who's bigger than that, as long as they are athletic and build. So a lot of people will inquire about a Kongle if it looks ginormous. Basically, if it looks like a big Mastiff, <clears throat> because they think they look tougher. Um, and they just have huge feet. Um, and that is not a dog that could work in the field. That is not a purebred Kongle. Um, but a lot of buyers inquire about you know, inquire about dogs with, you know, the bigger the build, the better. Um, and I've been told that by a prominent uh, Congle Dog Club of America board member. <clears throat> and they said, oh, the bigger, the better, because that's what people want to buy. Well, I'm going to take a different philosophical approach and preserve exactly what this, bread, this dog is meant to do, which is work. And if a dog is super big, it's not going to work by protecting livestock. It's going to want to hide in a hole it digs somewhere and get out of the sun and not work very hard. Um, and that's just to preserve its own life. Um, and I don't blame a dog for wanting to do that, but that's not going to be a dog in my pasture. So um, I try to not allow buyers' influences and desires to impact the way I select my dogs and breed them. Um, so even if I have invested 15, 20 grand into importing a specific dog, I will take a huge loss in them, spay them, and sell them for $1,000, $1,500 as a started working spay dog. I have had to do that. Um, but that's just because if you are contributing to the preservation of a rare working dog, you have to be willing to take a loss like that. And a lot of these breeders who are, you know, the gatekeepers to getting in to the association, whatever, um, they're not willing to take a loss like that. Um, some of them are fantastic and some of them are, you know, it's just like any other breed, which I'm sure you come across all the time, Sean. Um, yeah, so it's just, I like a dog with a broad head, a broad muzzle, and a good thick double coat, no feathering, um, and big, solid bone structure. Um, so it's going to be strong. It's going to be fast. But it's not going to be so big that it can't do its job. <clears throat> so I'm lenient on size on the higher end. But when I see weaker bones, when I see very feminine builds, even in my females, 
I all bypass it. <clears throat> I'll say, okay, um, that's just not what I want in my program. I want to have the best dogs and I'm willing to take financial loss. Um, if it means preserving the breed in the best way. <clears throat> and so when I look across the, you know, network of Congo breeders and people who tout their Congo dogs and all the Facebook pages, you can tell when they've gotten them from a breeder who has really worked hard to preserve, you know, the proper breed standards straight from Turkey or someone who has been lenient. So obviously that not only includes the physical traits, but the, the health um, and inheritable unseen traits, which are diseases. So, you know, with that, you'll see the, um, you'll see the hip dysplasia. You'll see the, I believe it's called Von Willebrand. It's like DWB. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we do a, we have a panel test um, that we give our dogs and it basically hits all the main It's the VWB, which is blood clotting the, um, the hip and patella degeneration. <clears throat> and then there is like, uh, what's, what else is also popping up is cataracts, like inheritable cataracts. So there are tests you can obviously do is like the pen hip certifications which is like a specific x-ray and then you have to have a certified <clears throat> um veterinarian assess it to determine if your dog has like future hip or patella dysplasia um or current and then there's the caeris um exam you can do which is where they dilate your dog's eyes and that will tell you if and what type of cataracts your dogs have but what's important to remember is that your dog may show signs of cataracts, but there are different types of cataracts. There is the inheritable cataracts, and then there is cataracts that is um, caused by injury. And when you're working with a rare, well, when you're working with any um, working dog, that is highly likely to happen is an eye injury, especially a livestock guardian dog who's going to be fighting uh, predators that are going to go after these dogs' faces. So what these predators do is typically try to go for their eyes, their ears, their mouths, because that's what's on them when the dog attacks them. <clears throat> so you have to be sure to clarify one, with the veterinarian and or yourself if you have to dive deeper into the... Um, research then what they may be willing to do is determining is it inherited or is it based off of injury that's extremely important because another breeder if you have to admit like oh yeah my dog tested positive on their caeri um, exam for cataracts okay well let's make sure you clarify which one um because other breeders like Breeders with bad intentions and, and buyers that just don't know any better um, or new potential breeders, they're just going to write your dogs off immediately. So make sure you clarify that for your own dogs because um, that's going to be extremely important. And people don't realize that. Most people do not unless they have a scientific, um, you know, profession or background or training. Um, but that's the main difference in what I specifically look for. 
Um, you'll see all across the board people, you know, posting pictures of their congles and, you know, they, they look fairly different, like any breed that you're going to see a bunch of different people post pictures on. But there is a very consistent look that a congle should have. And it's going to look very similar to um, what I would say is a timber wolf crossed with a like a Czechoslovakian shepherd, like a big, stocky, athletic wolfy looking shepherd (laughs) and um anything that looks weak or mixed breed big lip like loose lips loose eyes or too heavy i don't like it and i won't touch it um so that might sound a little arrogant but you know when you're when you're dealing with a a rare breed you have to be extremely particular if you're going to want to truly preserve what you have in your hands being in the military as a working dog handler we saw a lot of inconsistencies well consistencies within breeds um inconsistencies between the capabilities of the different breeds Mm -hmm. um so i will say it definitely helped me recognize uh right away a dog that's capable of working versus a dog that's just complying um the the worst dogs overall the worst working um breed that we had in the marines was the german shepherd um although if we go back if we go back to war in a very cold climate we would probably have to go back to them (laughs) Um, but I think it, it, it was just maybe the buyers that, that we were getting them from, that the military was just buying hand over fist from in Europe. Um, they were just poor quality and typically died from cancer by the time they were seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there were a few um, that were good, but it was just they were more compliant with the job. Um, then you had your Czechoslovakian shepherds, which were like the healthy version of a German shepherd, like the, the dog that's, that's a big old healthy tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then th- they were like the German shepherd you wanted to work with that you rarely saw. Um, <clears throat> they were very comparable in appearance and size, but they were ones that could outlast. Then you had... Um, the Dutch shepherds, um, and they were just—they were just monsters. They are little, little monsters. If if I was to do a protection dog breeding program, I would go for Dutch shepherds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had your Belgian Malinois, and they were very common. Um, and we actually had our own breeding program for Belgian Malinois and the um, explosive detection dogs, which were you know, like the Labradors and the bird dogs um, that didn't do any of the bite work, the patrol work. Um, So overall, each of the breeds that we utilized, because we tended to stick with the same lines, they were very consistent um, and willing to work. but But the German Shepherds, you could instantly tell with that specific breed if a dog was was good or he was just surviving and so that has transferred 
or tr- helped me transition into this working breed. Um, also, working with that inconsistency um, between those different breeds helped me to recognize the training needs of the Congo dog. So where you can bring out a bite suit and typically get a shepherd to want to bite, um, you're working against thousands of years of effort of humans trying to take the bite out of a Congo towards people. Um, this dog is extreme. This breed is extremely stubborn. They don't want to comply with anything really that you command them because they're just, they've been trained for so they've been bred for so long to just work on their own. Um, that training is really not training with them. It's relationship building. Um, to, they, I mean, they can be transitioned into a domestic setting where they don't have a job, but, you know, you're going to have the puppies in a litter that are better for that situation and those that are not, um, and you got to be. So with my experience, um, I am not, I, I don't believe in one approach to dog training, Um, for every dog. I think every dog, obviously, naturally, you have to adjust your approach to each dog. Um, And then as they develop into or mature into different stages, you're going to also have to adapt to that. Um, I have never been a fan of purely positive training, um, ever. But what I have discovered is with the Congle dog, it is actually very beneficial to do a mostly purely positive approach to training because they will shut down and be stubborn and when you have a 150 pound dog at the end of a leash that doesn't want to work for you just because you tell it what to do you're not going to get anywhere so it so literally with this breed it's it's just trying to get the dog to work with you so i attended um the the Department of Defense Kennel Masters and Supervisors course down at Lackland Air Force Base. <clears throat> I think that was like 2012. And what we had to do is we had to work with a problem dog that just was basically never going to leave the school because they, they couldn't get certified. They couldn't get trained. They were basically deemed untrainable. Mm-hmm. And we had to work through whatever their biggest issue was. And, um, it tended to be dogs that really needed relationship building. And unfortunately, in the military, you don't get a whole lot of opportunity to build a relationship with a dog before you go down range with them or before you have to do a very dangerous dog with a very dangerous job with that dog, like, you know, looking for IEDs. Um, <clears throat> so you'll learn to build rapport quickly and pray (laughs) um and then with these dogs with the congo dogs it's a lot of the same it's kind of like working with a problem dog that the military would look at these dogs and be like you can't you can't train them you know they're problem dogs um that's all they are and it's just because they take a lot of trust building a lot of relationship building and people don't want to take the time to do that they just want a dog that they can throw out in the pasture and it can get to work <clears throat> and it's just not if you really want it to especially if you get it as a puppy and you really want it to do what you want it to do you got to build a relationship with it um so that has really helped me determine 
or actually figure out how to essentially quote unquote train the dog it's really just kind of redirecting their energy from trying to play with the livestock to determining okay well my energy is best focused on something else um that's really your whole job with training a congol is especially if you use it for livestock guardian work is redirecting their energy um especially in their teenage their puppy to teenage um time frame so that really helps me that experience working with the different types of breeds in the military and then um going to that kennel kennel master's course and working just specifically with problem dogs um i was not a trainer by any means we had training um like train the trainer you know courses and whatnot but i was mostly a a handler and you know i i knew how to adapt to what a dog needed because as a handler as a good handler you have to be able to do that as a dog trainer you obviously have to do that but that's what i was working with with my experience in the military was the handling side and putting trust and rapport into a dog and um just hoping that you can get the job done together because the dog isn't going to tell you oh yeah we walked past night but i don't feel like telling you you know especially when you're traveling with secret service and you're protecting the president and his family mm-hmm. you you gotta be certain and so rapport building relationship building with any dog um is going to make the best impact for their training yeah the livestock guard dogs i've heard time and time again from other trainers um the, they're the hardest dogs to work with, but it's because they have an independent spirit. That's what's been bred into them for literally thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and they've just learned to genetically, I mean, genetically, they've been designed to rely on themselves and not listen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so the shepherds out in like the Turkish Hills um, and across that whole region, um, that used to be ancient Persia, the ancient Persia empire, um, they would just reign. They would, they would roam the ranges and they were just expected. You don't attack people, but you attack anything that's, that's not normal. That's not supposed to be there. Um, and that's, that's it. And so there are some aspects to these dogs that are much easier to manage than say a, a you know a, a german shepherd or a rottweiler or doberman in, in training mm-hmm. um but this is certainly never a dog that you would put on a back tie and you know try to do bite work with <laughs> um i mean well especially because no bite work equipment is designed to be strong enough for um the congo dog's bite but besides the point they're not going to want to anyways unless unless it's a situation where they know the people they have bonded with are in um distress um and a stranger comes up to you know the property they're gonna alert to it and they're gonna be suspicious um they're not gonna immediately run out and bite somebody like some of these other breeds that you have to train not to bite um but they're going to definitely keep people away. I mean, essentially, the the canine units for the military, the, the military police canines, when we would have 
um, rallies when when people would show up to um, like rally and, and whatnot and create chaos. Um, the canine, you, like when we would show up, it would often um, it would often reduce the chaos because of the psychological deterring factor that the dogs create. Like, people are like, oh, I'll go up against, you know, a line of cops and throw rocks and stuff at them. But when you have dogs there, it creates a different inst- – like, it triggers a different instinct in people. So even if you know your dog's not going to bite anyone, it is still a deterrent for someone who doesn't know that dog. Um, and that's what I like. Like, I know that most people could go up to the fence and pet them and they'd be okay. Um, li- liability reasons. And you never know when some kid could be riding his bike by and, and he wants to pet a dog. And, and I want to know that my dog isn't going to injure him. Um, but there will be instances where, yeah, you put enough pressure on that dog, no matter what dog it is. Well, typically, um, they will defend themselves and, and something that they're bonded to, whether it's livestock or people. Yeah, I think I certainly feel strongly that that was dogs and horses were designed by God to specifically help man. And it's like, why not take advantage of their spirit and desire to to be with you and help you and protect you um, as long as you provide that for them. So what you start with first is, you know, the foundational image of what a Congo should look like. You take the basically the head the the profile of a timber wolf um and you take the congles head if you can get, have a picture of their profile and you put it next to it it's going to have a very minimal slope between the top of its skull the, the, the top point of its skull and its nose um then you're going to look at the broadness of its muzzle and its head um, and the loose li- the looseness or length of its upper lips, um, and if it has any sagginess to its face, to its facial features, anything that resembles a mastiff, I will stay clear away from it. I want something that looks like a wolf. So the Congo dog is genetically the most closest related breed a dog breed to the wolf um so naturally it should have the appearance especially head structure wise of the wolf there was this very interesting documentary i wish i could find it i've tried i cannot remember the name of it but this gal raised wolves next to dogs and she tried to determine well can dogs can wolves be domesticated well there was a, a slight different shape in the back of their skull um, and sh- and it was determined scientifically, behaviorally, um, that they just can't be domesticated because of the shape of their skull. It affects the shape of their brain. And to me, it's kind of like, well, maybe that's why the Congo is so dang stubborn because it really just doesn't have a higher desire to please like the wolf. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can't really breed that into a purebred Congo if it truly is the close, most closely related breed to a wolf. Um, so that's the first thing I look at. If a dog's head, if a Congo's head looks so close to a big fluffy wolf in an Alaskan tundra, you know, like forest, whatever, I will instantly be drawn to that. And I will investigate it closer. 
then I'll look at the bone width of like it's it's legs it's front legs um it's ankle bones if it's ankle bones are similar similar in width to its elbow I will then consider continuing looking at that dog if it has a full tail curl or a double tail curl Uh, My dogs have a double tail curl. The tighter the curl, the better. I've seen a lot of these Kongles shared on the Facebook groups where their their tails don't curl too much or the breeders will hold their dogs in a stance where they're also holding their dog's tail in a curl. I'm like, let go of the tail. Let's see see how it actually sits naturally. Um, If a Kongle has a bad coat, has a short coat, where you can tell it's it's very it's very slick. Usually, that's a sign it doesn't have a double coat. I don't want it. You know, it's it, that's the sign. Um, if it has an odd, you know, uh, coat color, it should be it should be general in appearance. Like the whole body should be the same color. Maybe some speckling and white paws and socks. Um, and then a, a dark, darker face. I don't really care if the face is super dark. It just better have a black nose. Um, <clears throat> and, I mean, it overall should look like a strong, stocky, almost like a, a hybrid wolf look. Um, it should have teardrop eyebrow markings that are black. Um, I've seen a lot of these people breeders with congos that they just look like a they look like a mastiff or they look like a they look like a great dane almost just you know it just looks saggy and not athletic and just not healthy um from a congo standpoint maybe from theirs from those breed standpoints it's healthy but you know if you want a working dog you don't want anything sagging um those are the biggest things. It's like you look at it, you look at a Congo and you instantly think like, whoa, that looks, that looks almost like a wolf. Um, that's what I like. Very, very strong piercing eyes. They don't sag. Um, you want basically what you would consider a intelligent face, not something that's saggy, like a, like a, a mastiff that you know, it, it is considered in the dog breeding realm as an unintelligent look to a dog that is specifically what i look for um if i see a dog that looks just generally wimpy or saggy or a or a single you know layered coat a single coat or anything that resembles an anatolian i won't go near it um anatolians so the reason why you had such a hard time talking with or inconsistent responses talking with Turkish breeders is they're no longer allowed to directly export to the United States because they were giving fake pedigrees for dogs that were not purebred Kongol. Um, They were essentially Anatolians, which is a mixture of dogs within the region of Anatolia um, and not from the specific village of Kongol. Um, And so these dogs are going to have a variety of looks and appearances and coat structure and and bone structure and and behavioral 
differences, the Anatolian is known for having a very inconsistent temperament, where the Congol is expected to have a very consistent temperament. Like, you shouldn't have too many Congols that can't do its job, you know, behaviorally. Um, that is a major fault. Where Anatolians, you're, you're going to have a lot more leeway, um, let alone the price difference is going to be different. Um so that's specifically what I like for. I look for a bit for for a big head that looks like a wolf or almost like a bear appearance, um, and I start with that. Uh, why do you think the Anatolians are so inconsistent? Uh, I think because it's an accumulation of different genetics. Um, throughout the region of Turkey, which has been influenced by, you know, foreign travelers bringing in other dogs. And this specific village in Turkey has preserved <clears throat> the the Congo line specifically for thousands of years. Um, and Anatolians, the Anatolian region has been influenced by other stray, you know, breeds that have kind of come through and and mingled with the local what were Congols. Um, so I would say an Anatolian is, you know, it, it had its roots in with the Congol bloodlines, but it has been depleted, um, where the Congol is like the purebred version of what an Anatolian used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is from my research. Um, they all come from the ancient mastiff breed out of ancient Greece but um, the Congol is like the 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 historic start to the Anatolian mm-hmm. um, I really loved my Akbash she was fantastic with um, she had a really strong maternal instinct so she was great with like kids and lambs never touched them um easy to train not to touch them uh not to use them as chew toys um i really liked that aspect about them which i almost gave up on the congo at one point and transitioned to back to the akbash because i don't want a vet bill caused by a dog that i own you know so or a livestock vet bill um I don't know, and I haven't really studied the history. I know that they're bred alongside the Congo a lot. Um, I really like the dog. You can definitely tell the difference between old American Bach-Bosch lines and the actual traditional Congo lines. It's the same same concept. Mm-hmm. Their head shapes are very different. The American Bach-Bosch tend to resemble, um, in my opinion, uh, like a golden retriever. Yeah you know, like a long-coated golden retriever or a Pyrenees or something like that. Um, and if I was to get back into Akbash, I'd be looking at importing again because I just, you can just tell that it's just not a real Akbash. And they might have a good temperament, but you know what? The whole point of preserving a rare breed is to preserve the actual breed, not your own lines. Um, and there's some pride that you have to kind of keep in check with with ways of approaching that. Um, and then you can build your pride later once you know that you've actually done a good job. Um, but I, I, from what I've known and researched briefly and have owned in the past, I do really like the Akbash. I, I, 
I would assume you own an Anatolian. Am I right? I own an Anatolian Akbosh and Tangle. Okay, okay. So you own all three, or that's a mix of the three? A mix of three. Oh, got it. Okay. So I, I, I would not buy an Anatolian ever. I would buy an Akbosh and, you know, naturally the, the Congo. So I think the reason why people are people, why people focus on purebred versus mixed breed is just because you get a more consistent yeah. result. That is, that is really the only reason. I mean, yeah, I'm working to preserve a very special breed, in my opinion. Every, you know, everyone's dog is special. Mm -hmm. But it's just the consistency and being able to sell consistency. Um, and I want consistency in my pastures. If I have a dog that has a crappy temperament, I'm going to get rid of it. And I have. Um, I've never owned a, you know, a crappy Kongle. Um, I've owned a Pyrenees that didn't feel like doing her job, and I sent her down the road, <laughs> you know? She went to be someone's, you know, pasture friend with a bunch of chickens, which is perfect for her. I still ensure that, that they went to a better setting for them mm -hmm. specifically and that family because I the last thing I ever want is a text or a message or a phone call saying this dog isn't working for me what did you what did you do you know like mm -hmm. that's the last thing I ever want to deal with never want to um and you know I, I have my reasons for never using a Pyrenees you know I I think there's a few good ones but overall they're pretty lazy um, but that's just my experience. I might have had a bad line. And then the Akbash, she was great. But since I'm focusing on the Congo breeding program, I didn't really need her anymore. And she went to help. You know, she was a rock-solid trained dog, and she went to help somebody else's farm out. So um, there's ethical approaches to, you know, a program, whether it's purebred dogs or not. And there's positive negatives to both. Yeah, I, I will say um, I have owned many mixed breed dogs because i do believe in rescue but man those dogs have had the worst health that i have ever witnessed in a dog and i don't know if it's the result of inbreeding or just a lack of you know intentional breeding in the first place um let alone the diets of dogs for generations since the industrialized dog food has been created you know, just like the FDA's, like, food pyramid, like, health for dogs and humans side by side have just imploded. It has been absolutely awful. So most of the dogs that we saw in the military ended up with cancer. And I just had a very strong feeling it was the dog food. And, and it was probably partly monthly flea and tick stuff because that's a lot of chemicals in their blood every month. Um, but the most consistent part, the aspect, was the, was the dog food. So, so what we also do is, and I'll send you a text with a picture of, of to go back to the previous topic, um, a book that we use to do temperament testing for our puppies. Um, awesome. And anybody can, anybody can utilize it, but it's super handy, and it's really helped me determine dogs for me to hold back as well. Um, not just physical traits, but how to determine if the dog is worth, you know, wants to do his job. Right. Um, but then the next transition would be food. And um, we do mostly raw uh, because that's what they're designed to eat, especially a, a dog that's closely related to the wolf. It's, it's just going to handle it, you know, easily. Um, and 
and we try to stay away from industrialized dog food as much as possible. Um, we don't yet fully 100% support their diet raw currently, but we're working towards it um, by raising our own meat. And if you don't have the capabilities of raising beef like a whole cow to feed your dogs for the next year, um, you know, get a hunting license and and you know, go pick up a hobby of hunting legally and, you know, take the good cuts for yourself and use absolutely every ounce of what's left for your dogs. And that's going to help pay, you know, help cover your feed costs. And it's just going to be overall so much better for your dogs. They're going to live longer. They're not going to have the tooth decay that you see them have. Like my husband's a dentist and, you know, he said the biggest contribution to tooth decay is, is sugar and carbohydrates carbohydrates is processed by the body as sugar and this dog food is mostly carbohydrates and sugars you know corns and wheats and basically what humans are getting fat on right on next to them um is whatever's cheapest and you just you can go to walmart and buy you know big jars of chicken feet and chicken livers and oh my gosh that is just fantastic uh, fantastic food for your dogs, um, let alone yourself. So, um, I would also ask like, Hey, if a breeder, if you're inquiring about, uh, puppies, you know, what do they feed them? There are decent dog foods out there, but nothing's going to be like a raw dog food. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would believe in feeding raw to any breed. Um, if you're buying them commercially raised chickens, though that could potentially trigger um you know trigger health responses i think that um ground beef is always a good one to start with to test and then research like look up online like um uh ways to feed raw to your dog you don't have to overcomplicate it or by any means like do a mixture of both dry dog food like a good brand and then some you know raw meat alongside it um beef liver is the absolute healthiest food you and your dog could eat because essentially our digestive systems are designed almost identically um and to include the level of stomach acid we both have humans and dogs alike um and so whatever your body um well essentially whatever their body can can digest um your our body tends to benefit from something similar i wouldn't say rotting meat but you know your dog probably doesn't benefit much from that either um so you have to use a method you know, a methodical approach to how you're going to feed it and do some research and whatnot. But, but there is a unlimited amount of heart and beef liver that is put into, um, actually commercialized ground beef. Um, so essentially you're, you could be getting way more nutrients out of that ground beef that you get at the grocery store than you ever thought originally, you know, um, I like to go to a butcher shop and order a full beef liver, cut it up, throw it in the freezer or dehydrator or whatever, and feed it to the dog on a weekly basis. Same with seafood whenever there's a sale, you know. And you can find a local butcher that is willing to sell you their scraps real cheap. And that's another way of supplementing your dog food bill. Um, There's going to be vets who are going to try to scare you away from, from 
feeding raw and then there's going to be vets who are going to suggest that's the best thing for them especially because we're seeing so many health issues you know in the dogs and you know just do your research and, and do what feels right for your program if a dog gets sick from one thing you know try to work with your vet and and figure something else out but um i will never stop feeding raw just because of the um the the research that i've done especially after taking um like college statistics courses and it, it teaches you how to really read through research papers um i'm not telling everybody that they have to go take a college statistics class but i will be very firm in supporting the approach of feeding raw dog food or raw meat to dogs based on the research that i have conducted um and anyone who tries to shy me away from it you'll never change my mind because of the results of of health based on a dog comparing a dog who has eaten dry dog food its whole life versus you know um a diet that's been influenced by raw feeding um that is a really good question i cannot say what dogs are the best but i have seen really good ones come from um i believe norway a specific breeder in norway um uh there's a gal in france who i imported from i like some of her dogs a lot and there's some of her dogs that i i wouldn't really buy a puppy from you know one of their litters you have to be really discerning um and not emotional and desperate a lot of the breeders in america i think have become desperate to bring in new genetics whether they're good or not um i'd say there's a couple breeders in the states that do have good lines but there there's two i would say there's two that i know of um and uh i have acquired my stud from one of them and i haven't looked uh, closely enough at the other gals to purchase from her yet but she's where i will go next one is on the west coast one is on the east coast um but we'll see how things develop over the next couple of years um, but that is likely where i'll buy my next male and then my females are the imports from the gal in france um and everything else seems to kind of share the same genetics and health issues that are starting to slowly pop up now that people can do at-home genetic health tests, which is fantastic for the consumer. Um, but some of these older breeders are really starting to panic um, because they're having puppy buyers reach out to them and say, hey, my dog has this and this, you know, what the heck? And they're like, oh, well, what the heck? <laughs> we didn't know either. And But it's because they've been sharing the same lines and same genetics across the board like literally not figuratively the the kdca board for generations i would say um and that's going to cause a problem there's too much line breeding too much sharing of genetics and and what is the result of that um these diseases that you're not really going to have an easy time uh basically you might as well start over with your program so there's a reason why i will not buy from particular breeders because especially if you don't ask them, they're not going to tell you that their lines have these specific genetic diseases, um, inheritable. And yeah, it would just, it would be devastating to have to restart a program. Um, and so 
yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent, I think. No, that's perfect. Okay. <laughs>